Hello, friends. You are listening to Art Block Radio, recorded in Philadelphia. My name is Logan Cryer, and in this episode, you will hear a conversation between myself and the artist Rod Jones. Rod was kind enough to send over a poem in lieu of an artist bio, so I will be reading that now. I'm a descendant of Winola Jones, fed 50 people with $50 for 50 Sundays. It's only natural that I have the tendency to serve the masses, making the most from none. The works are propositions, and these propositions are meditations, self-reflections, interrogations of my truths. I make because I have to. I make when I'm called. I resist diluting my unique experience with a language given to me, and not a language that truly articulates how I feel. Birth something that I don't understand yet fulfills me. Like a chill vibrating my vertebrae, intuitive inspiration jolts through my body, desperately begging my body to keep up. I fail at relaying the entirety of that feeling. Due to some technical issues, the first few minutes of Rod and I's conversation were lost. So this conversation is going to start with me asking Rod to pick up where we left off, discussing his college experience and how that shaped him as an artist. I guess broadly, could you start from you were talking about your experience, your college experience, I guess, broadly, and how that led to your creative practice? Yeah. Um, Well, broadly speaking, it was a culture shock for me to go from Gary, which is probably like 95 percent black city to predominantly white town in the middle of nowhere. Um, Which so is the, the school you went to in Missouri? Yeah, Trinidad State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I got hit with a lot of like, I don't know, I had some internal work, some internal fortification to do with navigating whiteness and then also rural whiteness, which is a little bit different than like urban whiteness, in my opinion. Um, so Yeah. And I think that, you know, my practice was a kind of like weighted blanket for that experience. Um, I feel like once I started to get challenged in my in my life, I started to challenge what I believed in my work and what my work could do for myself. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely think that that was uh, the start to like me even being introduced to Black artists, uh, Robert Blackburn. Um, Alan Locke, these like new Negro movements, the Harlem Renaissance wave, like that was my introduction into, you know, artwork made by Black black people. Um, prior to that, I had no knowledge of it. So I think that kind of set me, this kind of like deficit that I experienced in my life kind of like set me on this path to kind of look for that or feel that void on some level. Yeah. And at what point did you know that you wanted to go into art? Because if I understand correctly, going into college, you were not, but something mm-hmm. happened and you were like, actually. Yeah. So I got hurt playing football. Um, and I told you that I, you know, I went to college to play football, like as a pro. Um, but when that happened, like the floor kind of like fell beneath me and I was kind of like in this free fall. Um, and again, it was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about art and I don't know. I don't know where that can take me, but I just followed my heart in a, you know, in a real way. It's the same way that I did with football. Um, and it's just, I don't know. 
when I graduated undergrad in 2016, and here we are now. I had no idea what I would do, where I would be, what I was interested in. I just know I like making. I got my degree in printmaking, so which okay. is also like a niche within like the art field in and of itself. So it's like people are asking me like, "What are you going to do?" I'm like, "I don't know." You know, I just I just want to do this. So right, yeah. And what do you think? Because you were focused on such a traditional and kind of like as you said, like niche medium, like printmaking, is that what led mm-hmm. you to go to PAFA? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, so I think something that we're probably going to pick up on is like, I kind of just like follow my gut. Um, and so I was, I think like six months out of getting my undergraduate degree, my mom was like concerned. Like our conversations would be like, you know, what are you doing? Uh, you don't have a job. I'm like, but I'm doing these commissions and I'm getting this money. And she's like, but from where? <laughs> and what does that mean? <laughs> so it's just like this. Um, we, were, we were in this moment where she was kind of like this questioning, you know, the my path. Um, and in her questioning, she talks to her friends and she's pretty candid about like how she speaks about myself and my brother. Um, so she's talking to her friends one day at a, at a reunion. Um, and one of her best friend's sister is a curator, Dr. Kelly Morgan. Um, and Dr. Kelly Morgan worked for PAFA, um, for a couple of years, but anyway, ended up getting introduced to her. Kelly Morgan saw my portfolio. Kelly's like, uh, you need to meet my friend DDA William. DDA is like, yeah, DDA is the, I think the chair at the MFA program at this point, um, at PAFA. And so there, they have a close relationship. So DDA trusts Kelly's word. Um, so it was just kind of this connection who you know you know wow. it's kind of just like ended up there I talked to DDA for about 30 minutes and was convinced that you know I could get an MFA and deserved to get an MFA too he saw something in me that I don't think I saw in myself at that point um and that encouraged me to you know to leave that situation which was rural Missouri where I felt like I was being depleted every day just you know dealing with racism um in a re- in real like covert ways that you don't know are affecting your life um and i was like yeah let me get up out of missouri and go to philadelphia because <laughs> this may be i know i need a shift that's and that was the that's what got me out here i was like i need a shift this sounds right yeah let's do it <laughs> and then did your practice change at all once you were in the grad program Indeed, I went into grad school wanting to be like an oil painter that painted portraits of folks, which I value still to this day. But it's just not my bag, you know. Like I got there, and <laughs> I got there, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna make these portraits." And I started making these portraits that I was proud of. But then in my, I'm like going to my studio every day, and I'm like, "This is just not enough," you know. Like for me to like again speaking to that void. Um, it wasn't enough. It wasn't as involved. Maybe it was like energy. It wasn't much energy. It wasn't enough material. It wasn't enough color. It was just, it wasn't enough for me. Um, so I started to experiment broadly because the, the degree at PAPA is an interdisciplinary degree. So they give you free reign to kind of just like play. Um, and that's what I did. I took a class called Graphic Impulse. Um, and I didn't take the class. I actually sat in on the class. Um, and did and work through the semester with the, with the class and did these projects that kind of got me thinking about material different, got me thinking about representation differently, um, got me thinking about color differently, got me thinking about like what an art object could look like differently. 
um, I think that really radically shifted um, like this idea I had of like, you know, black portraits was what I felt like I needed to see and what I needed to experience, what I needed to make in art for me to feel full, fulfilled, um, but realizing that that wasn't it for me, uh, I think really helped where I'm at now in terms of just experimenting. I think that's what a lot of my practice is based in now, just experimentation and seeing where that takes me. Yeah, I guess a lot of Black artists that you would learn about, you know, either in a class or in a book or something, most of it is portraiture, like historically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the rock stars, right? Like when we in art yeah. school, when we right. like trained to be an artist, like those are the people that I, I, I was told to look up to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, why, why not, you know, want to emulate them? And, and I think that, you know, most Black artists do go through this. Maybe maybe it's not, you know, portraiture or representation, but trying to emulate someone that they kind of have, like, idolized on some level. Um, and then somewhere in that process, figuring out what is you and what is this artist that you're just looking up to. Mm, um, yeah. So it was grad school that I started to learn about, like, Wangechi Mutsu, David Hammonds, William Fultel. Uh, Nora Purifoy, these artists that are really like thinking outside of um, a canvas, thinking outside of a sheet of paper, thinking outside of like what a mark can be and how it can be translated onto the surface. Um, that started to really uh, invigorate some like productive energy for me. Mm. Uh, this kind of like play, that's what I've been, is what I've been thinking about it as like just playing around with materials really opened up uh, what I thought the work could do. It's interesting hearing you talk about it because I can like hear the pedagogy and just how you're talking about this. Like I know you also teach. I don't know which classes you teach exactly, but Mm -hmm. it seems like, you know, that sense of play and exploration. It's not just for your own studio practice. Like that seems like something you really want to share, you know, with other artists. Definitely. Um, Yeah, I teach. I teach drawing one um, just to kind of like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah to, I know yeah to, <laughs> <laughs> to let you know like where I guess I don't know the breadth like the scope of like how I'm speaking to things okay. and how I'm working with materials myself I'm in a place where I'm not even thinking about drawing one in my practice at all you know at yeah. least not in it's like um you know still life or working with charcoal like these like very specific ways but um in teaching those classes, you have to find a way to relate to students that have no experience with drawing, have no experience right. with mark making. Um, and I think that that play, like playing, you know, this experimentation allows you to not think of, you know, an art project or an art piece so um, preciously, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. something that's, that you're experiencing and it's a result of an experience or a group of experiences rather than this thing, or it, it can be that rather than this thing that you're like trying to replicate in the real world. Um, mm. That's in- integral to my, the, my teaching practice, um, just allowing students to really value experimentation um, as like a, I don't know, like a, a resource, you know, like just as, as valuable as the library, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel that you know, even within this context of play and experimentation, your work does have a lot of serious themes tied to it. Mm-hmm. 
where do you find that balance between maybe something that is a little bit lighter, a little bit more playful, but something that actually does have some resonance to what it is that you're talking about? Do you think about those things as contradictory at all? Mm. No, I don't think I do. Uh, and even as I'm like, yeah, I think that's a great question. Because uh, I'm like, I'm really sitting with that right now. Mm. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I look at them as two separate things. I think the way that I kind of like cope with my reality is like escaping, you know, imagining mm. um, to be in a place, but to imagine yourself outside of this this place too. I think that that's integral to how I just like experience the world um so i think it's hard for me to separate like serious subject matter and this idea of playing because it's always been attached to me you know mm. um i think about like growing up <clears throat> and i don't i don't i mean i don't even talk like this right like <laughs> i think about growing up in in in, in playing at, at parks um and thinking about like today global warming and seeing these parks and these buildings overtaken by like nature in real ways Mm-hmm. or like the asphalt cracking because it's so hot outside over years um and i don't know i think in my like in my brain that is aware of climate change and and everything now i think playing for kids is it's like something that could be looked at as like pretty dark like we outside playing and mm-hmm. the world is like falling apart around us but you still i don't know i think that play allows you to be present so I think those things close together, I don't know, are necessary for me. That's really interesting thinking about like play as presentness, even within context of, you know, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know you mentioned global warming and then I want to definitely talk about the work you had in your two-person show, Add in Liquid. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are we claiming? Right. Which closed, I think, mid-July? No, it's mid-July now. I don't know when it closed. Mid-June? Mid-June. What is is time? I don't know. know. (laughs) (laughs) But it was was up recently. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I I would love to hear your thoughts on it. But the show overall Mm -hmm. was talking a lot about lineage um, and how do you access and assess your personal histories and then you know which histories are your personal histories and which aren't but you can claim you know mm-hmm. um i i totally forget where my question was leading exactly but i guess i do want to hear you talk about that show a little bit more. yeah yeah no no sweat um thank you for asking about it i, I yeah let's just address it so what are we claiming? That was a show that was actually two years in the making. So before wow. the yeah, before the pandemic happened, it was it was scheduled to to be uh, it was scheduled to happen in like fall of 2020, but then the pandemic, and um, I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of gallery kind of had this calendar situation where things were getting pushed around and pushed back. So um, in Liquid, we after talking with in Liquid, we decided to push the show back a few times and it ended up happening this this past year um but you know i got presented with the i got presented with the opportunity i was invited to be a part of the show actually uh so cheryl's work 
show Harper to other artists I was with. Her work had been traveling for a couple of years, that same installation. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and she proposed it to In Liquid, the gallery. Um, <clears throat> and I was invited to to be a part of the show because they felt like, I think both Cheryl and In Liquid thought that it would be a more fuller conversation with another perspective on mm-hmm. this idea. Um, so when they brought the show to me, I knew that this was these this idea of lineage, this idea of like ancestry. I think about Kendrick's line, like if these walls could talk, like I think about that line so much in my practice mm-hmm. um, and what that means, right? Like if the walls are talking, like who's in the walls, you know, like where they, where they come from, what they say, what language are they speaking, who they mm-hmm. speaking to. Um, these, these ideas, I think, are something I, I, I think about all the time in my practice. And I was also in a place where I was questioning representation, questioning like um, what all of our identity is as like black black people um, and thinking about the portrait. Yeah, when you say representation, do you mean like representational artwork or just representation as like me as a black artist in certain spaces or was it just all of it? Mm. Representational artwork. Um, I think it's all of it too. Like me as a black artist in certain spaces, in this space of like the archive and mm-hmm. familial history and familial lineage and these heirlooms. Um, so I got presented with the opportunity and I knew Cheryl's work was um, addressing family lineage heirlooms. Um, and I was like, you know, I think that my work is questioning like the validity of heirlooms in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of my practice as like an active archive and of my own experiences. Um, and I and I think that I'm, I was really there at the point where I got presented with the show because I was making these dolls. Um, these dolls that I call like the homies. And the homies are like, I don't know, they can be fairies, they can be like uh, entities, they can be representative of like imaginary friends. I just call them the homies because they they take up space in my studio. Um, and, I, and I felt like, you know, the name for them was fitting. Um, but I'm like, are these homies like you know, asking the right, are these, ask, are these homies asking the questions that I'm asking? Um, so I felt, I felt like it would be good to see the homies next to these like artifacts. Mm. that Cheryl has kind of like gathered over years. Um, it's just like this hard data that you can like trace names and dates and places to. And I don't necessarily have that relationship with like lineage or family or memory, right? Like I think that for most, I'm, I haven't inherited anything, you know, from my family. So that, I mean, I'm just, well, that's where we can start. But my mom has like photos, my dad has photos. But those are, I, and I have, I've been away from home for 10 years. So I haven't had access to any of that stuff other than mm. like it being sent to me from someone. So, but I also feel grounded, right? I feel like present. I feel supported by my ancestors. I feel like I have a connection to a lineage that I can't necessarily see or point to, um, but it's hyper present within my practice, uh, within my day to day life. Like, um, earlier you asked if my family was creative uh, and though they were like they weren't like they wouldn't call themselves artists like stereotypical mm. artists like my mom did nails um, a lot of folks in her family did nails as well and did hair um, but also on, on that side of the family they they did a lot of work with their hands so like I feel like I've been connected to this I don't know working with my hand lineage and in that in that practice I feel connected to my ancestors without even 
seeing faces, hearing names, seeing dates, knowing who did what, when, at what time. Like for me, I, it's enough for me to to feel connected. And so I'm like, is the work if I feel like the work is doing this for me, like what is the work doing next to Cheryl's pieces? Mm. Um, and so that was really my motivation for being a part of this show because I think a lot of um, the yeah the ways that Cheryl was approaching like truth and validity was are things that I didn't agree with personally. Mm. So I'm like, all right, if I don't agree with this, like let's see if the work is doing what I think it's doing. Um, and and yeah, that's I think that's what this show was kind of me over two years, and I I needed the two years. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I needed the two years um, because it's heavy, right? Like, yeah. uh, Cheryl has these. Oh, Cheryl's husband's side of the family they have the they they were uh, plant they had plantation. And so part of Cheryl's research is having these names of Black folks, Black bodies um, who don't have agency, who have agency, right, that I felt like Cheryl was stripping from them, you know, in presenting them without kind of like consent, you know, Mm. presenting them, presenting them as like artifacts and not as like people. Um, So I think I needed to like really understand what my feelings were around Shell's work and mm-hmm. to make to make my own work and to have like the conversation. And it took two years. And I saw this, but it was this tweet that kind of really like summed things up for me. And I'm a I'm a wrap up talking about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm I'm on I'm on Twitter all the time, but I'm not like I don't I don't tell people what my Twitter is. <laughs> I'm just like a ghost. I don't know. I like to, I prefer it to be that way because Twitter can, like the spaces in Twitter, I, I find are really valuable, but are like highly problematic. Um, so I just like to be to myself in that space. Um, but I follow these um, Black femme historians um, who like use Twitter like millennials, but also like academics, which is kind of, I don't know, this is a, a funny space to kind of see get occupied. Um, and it like it's black Twitter too. So there's like a certain kind of like, I don't know, um, there's a certain place that they're coming from and how they're speaking about things that I value. A certain vernacular that they're speaking with too as well. Um, and this black historian is recounting this this experience that she had. Um, and she talks about receiving this email from a woman um a white woman and the white woman talking about like yeah you know i was doing some um, family digging and found that my um, ancestors had a plantation but i also found these these photos and these documents and i'll you know she's kind of expressing wanting to connect these like the family members to these documents so that the descendants of whoever was in a plantation can know where they came from mm. um and <clears throat> So the, the woman reached out to this black lady, not knowing that that she was a historian, but knowing that she was potentially one of the descendants uh, oh, from wow. her findings, right? Wow. And so, right, right? And I'm just like, I'm reading this on Twitter, like, is <laughs> oh, my life like real right now? <laughs> um, but, you know, she, she, on one hand, she's like, you know, as, as an academic, she really valued like being able to trace like literally like where her family had been, what state they'd been in, how long they had been there, what time they were there, 
um, who were who were looking after them, where they were sold to. Like as an academic, she really valued receiving that information in that in that moment. But as a black person in real time, like mm. 2022, you know, post Trump era, like we're heightened racial sensitivity, um, heightened social sensitivity. She was like terrified. Um, and like traumatized in a, in, in a real way, you know, being able to look back at this this photograph. I think one of the photographs where like the plantation owner, um, his wife, and then this this black woman and this mulatto child, but in between them, and the black woman, the historian was like, "Yo, I have like light skinned people in my family, so this is like mm. potentially the root of like that light skinness. Like this is a." she was speaking to like potentially looking at the raper of like one of her family members and how trauma how traumatic that is and i was like wow this is like literally what i'm experiencing like mm-hmm. as i'm witnessing cheryl's work um and yeah i needed the two years to be able to, to come there to be able to arrive at that place and i feel like also make work that was productive and not no right make work that was productive yeah yeah I mean, I'm really, I really loved your work in the show and I'm kind of blown away to a point of almost like befuddlement of how well you were able to translate what you're talking about into the pieces. Like you haven't even described what they look like yet, but mm-hmm. how they looked just and to kind of like give a brief description, I'm going to like oversimplify it a little bit. So forgive me, but you know, <laughs> a, a lot of it were these, large amorphous almost rock-like almost almost figure uh you know like um they were paper mache pieces mm-hmm. you know that were like painted a brown flesh tone color um and then they were throughout the space and then either adorned with or suspended by just a string of beads like just so much bead or, you know, like the kind of beads that you would see in hair, especially mm-hmm. for like younger people, you know, like very colorful and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, I was really struck seeing them, how they were so almost figurative, right? Like they were of a certain scale. Some looked like they were in poses, like as if sitting in a chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, some literally had like, lips or like you know like some facial features yeah um but it didn't feel quite like an abstraction it really did feel like something else Mm. um and to have such a you know like this imagery that really kind of escaped symbolism next to work that was very archival right like Mm -hmm. most of the materials that um, Cheryl Harper used for found material. I'm saying found materials as in like they weren't created, right? Right. Um, yeah, and, and seeing it together, I mean, there was kind of an obvious contrast immediately that you could tell in terms of like racial dynamics, right? Like mm-hmm. seeing certain clothing, seeing certain materials, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And just the way that you kind of conceptually navigated like not only how am I thinking about how I feel about, you know, lineage and what it means to like um, talk about an artifact when the artifact is peoples and like specifically enslaved black people mm-hmm. to then turn that into a material process is really, really impressive. I, I'm just like really blown away. 
Bye, Ben. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, to speak to that briefly, I kind of like in my, you know, I, I like I, I spoke to my using my practice as like a coping mechanism. And I think that the materials that I work with and also find and incorporate in my artwork and I relate to on some level. Um, I kind of look at <clears throat> the discarded materials or waste or remnants and, and analyze and what do you call it? Like analogize them as like black bodies. And so it's like mm. like these, I don't know, I feel a kinship to these to things, you know. And I'm like, what do we do with the pieces? How can the pieces come together and speak to something new? I think that's that's being black, right? Like yeah. that's black magic. It, from my experience, like taking nothing and like turning it into something grander and it being like, wow, like how did you do that? Um, yeah, so and like I, what's interesting like, about that transformational process is like what becomes apparent is just how much labor you're putting into it. You know, like it's it's not just that you're finding materials and then presenting them as is. Like, I mean, there are thousands of beads and and I and I know for a fact personally, like you have to hand put those beads on, like and really like um yeah. So I yeah, I'm just like thinking about how, you know, that transformation it's not only just how can an audience maybe reassess how they understand this material, but to then for an audience member to have to try to contextualize your labor with that material, also just accentuate your relationship with it in a way. And I was actually mm-hmm. going to ask you how you feel like your relationship to material is, and you kind of already into that because it does seem so much about, you know, that kind of time spent with something with, yeah. you know, with your hands. Yeah extremely intimate extremely intimate relationship with material i think that's that's where my understanding comes from like in the world if i don't have i need to give myself that time to work through the things that i'm called to the things i like speaking to to me um to give them that like due diligence in the the work in and of itself so yeah that labor is like I don't know. We can talk about labor all day. That's so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot if it's hard to answer now, but where do you feel like after this show or with other things that are coming up, your practice is moving towards? Yeah. um, No, I don't feel on the spot. Uh, (laughs) I think. I think this is a great question because I'm actually working through um, I'm working I'm making work for a new show I have a solo show coming up in November um, in New York at the Q Art Foundation okay Um, wow so yeah shout out to Q great opportunity (laughs) great space Um, but the work I think I'm kind of like diving deeper into this where like where those sculptures came from you know Um, and like, I want to understand that world more, um, that space, the space that I'm, I feel like I've been pulling things from in my studio practice. Um, it's a, I've kind of like looked at it as, as a fictive space, but it, it has some like some real tangibility in my in my own life, you know. Mm-hmm. So with the show at Q, uh, I am making more homies. Shout out to the homies. Shout out to Paper Mache. That's that's been that's where we at. And then um, soft, like much more like larger soft sculptures. Mm. Uh, it's kind of how I'm thinking about it too. So 
uh, that show I feel like conceptually has been me like navigating and reconciling my relationship with my mom. Um, so, so I'm I'm curious because uh, yeah, I I think that it's just kind of it's, it's going deeper into like this idea of lineage, this idea mm. of ancestry, and but also broadening it out to um, what does protection look like, um, literal protection and like you know in tangible protection i think my my parents and my mom specifically did a really stellar job at protecting you know our dreams you know my mine and my brother's dreams and i'm like what is like what is that like mm. what does that look like um because i've you know in my life i've experienced people talk about dreams and it's kind of like downtrodden way um but i think i'm yeah i'm kind of just like navigating that space right now and pulling from what what that means uh, but the title of the show in new york is uh this must be the place to be mm. so i'm excited about this work um, a lot of labor but I'm, excited. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, excited. <laughs> I'm excited to see it yeah. is this your is this your first solo show first solo show yeah. indeed. indeed thank you thank you so yeah, a little bit of video, a little bit of sound. Trying to make it really immersive. I only had half a gallery at Liquid. I'm at the whole space in New York, so I really want to like transform the gallery space to something otherworldly. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, normally this is when I ask people like, "Oh, where can people find you online?" But you are hard to find online. <laughs> And it seems like you want to keep it that way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I do have a website, though, you know, um, fridex.com.com. Uh, and we there. We there. That gets updated regularly. You know, my email is there if you have any inquiries. Um, but I do keep a low pro. Low pro, but yeah, you can reach me. I'm easy to I'm easy to reach. I'm not I'm not hard to find. <laughs> Just not going to find you in the typical places. That's right, right, yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know. I kind of like I don't know. I, I've I've and I'm I've, I'm trying not to feel bad about how I think about this, but I've been thinking about like myself and my practice as the same way I think about the materials that I work with and find outside, like. You know, you wouldn't expect to find uh, a rug that you can use for painting behind a dumpster. But, you know, sometimes you got to look behind a dumpster to see if you're going to find that rug that you need. And that's how I feel like about the website and finding my presence. <laughs> okay. I really like that. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we're at time. So I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm gonna stop recording. Thank you for listening to Art Black Radio. Please be sure to listen to our other episodes and to check out theartblog.org for more content on Philadelphia arts and culture. Mm-hmm.